Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's up, guys? I am bringing you another incredible episode with the founder of Upgrade Labs and the Bulletproof Diet, Dave Asprey. Dave believes we can live to be 185 years old, and he's using data and research to actually get there. Today, Dave is exposing five foods you'll want to stop eating to live longer, why a vegan diet isn't as planet-friendly as you may think, and why now is the best time in history to live a long, healthy life. I hope you guys love listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you do, please leave a review on our podcast. It really is the best way to support us so that we can get the show out there to people like you that want to really change their health for the better. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. I have done the vegan thing. I have tried the low protein thing. It will provably make you feel like crap, which will make you wish you didn't live longer. Dave Asprey, welcome back to the show. I love the new set. Thank you, man, I appreciate that. Diving right in, what are five foods that people should stop eating if they wanna live a very, very long time? Anything that's fake, plant-based replacement for something animal-based. You can just stop that. But it's gonna be made from plants. It doesn't really matter. If it's trying to replace meat with plants, it's not the same thing, and it's a highly processed food by definition. Is it the highly processed that's the problem, or is it not eating the meat that's the problem? They're both problems, but the highly processed is definitely independently a problem. You look at egg replacement stuff, it's a chemical concoction. You look at the meat replacements, it's random oils and random carbs designed to taste like meat, but it won't have the same effect biologically. Mm. So we have people telling themselves that they're being healthy, but they're actually eating stuff that is provably less healthy for them. There's something called phytic acid, which is one of the five big types of plant toxins that I've written about in the Bulletproof Diet. And phytic acid is something that inhibits your ability to absorb minerals. And you find it in grains, you find it in corn, you find it in oats, you find it in oat milk and things like that. And what that means is that even if you get minerals from food that are depleted, you can't absorb them. And there's protein digestion blockers that are present in plant proteins that stop you from absorbing that protein and the other protein you might eat from something like an egg or a piece of meat. So we have a problem, we say it's healthy, but it's not. And then we have kale and spinach, especially raw, which are full of another plant toxin called oxalic acid that is causing kidney stones, gout, and even something called vulvodynia, which is when razor sharp crystals of calcium oxalate form in the vulva, which is really painful for women. 
and they yeah. don't know it, and then they eat another kale salad, chase it with a kale smoothie. Kale is not a superfood. It actually has things that keep you from wanting to eat it, and it shreds your gut. Okay, so we've got a couple of foods in there that we've called out by name. So we've got problems with grains, it sounds like, because mm-hmm. it's there is the something acid, goddammit, what was it? Oxalic acid, kale and spinach are the two major sources, but it's present in other things, even like almonds. I'm not saying that they're always bad for you, but too many seeds and nuts will contain enough phytic acid and oxalic acid to steal the minerals out of your body. What I'm do finding- Do they steal the minerals or do they stop them from being absorbed? Both. So what I'm finding in the context of all this anti-aging research I've done, written a very big book about it, 20 years of running a nonprofit in the space. When you are depleted of minerals, none of the repair systems in the body or the energy systems can work. Since phytic acid, which is present in most of these grains and nuts, is something that can suck calcium from your bones. It can cause osteoporosis and How zinc earth and it copper. It's a chemical reaction. It turns out plants, they don't want us to eat them. They, so the, they can't run away, so they make this to inhibit our ability to use the minerals in the plants. It's just Mother Nature fighting with itself. Okay, so which is utterly fascinating, but I want to understand phytic acid better. So I'm eating something that's been highly processed. Is, is, is it that there's something in the processing of these items that the phytic acid is isolated and there's more of it, or I'm just getting so many grains, so many nuts, so many oils that I'm just getting a ton of phytic acid in my system. They're tricking you into eating more grains and they're processed in a way that has more phytic acid. For instance, a rice cake is surprisingly high in phytic acid and puffed oats is terrible for you. But if you went back the traditional way of soaking and sprouting or things like that, that actually reduces phytic acid. So we knew about this ancestrally and we would prioritize meat, and dairy, especially dairy fat, and no one was allergic to milk because we hadn't broken dairy back then. So that was where you would get your calories and your what fats. What does when breaking you could. dairy mean? Well, you create a breed of cows that makes highly allergenic dairy, and you because it tastes better, has higher sugar content. I'm assuming just because it produces more milk. Okay, and it happens to have these side effects. Yep, it's called A1 casein versus A2 casein, and so the old breed of cows that make less milk but more nutritious milk don't make the allergenic proteins. So many people can handle raw A2 milk, but when you take a cow that makes A1 milk and you feed it corn and soy, so it has the wrong fats and it has a bunch of other allergenic proteins, then you cook the milk briefly, which makes it more (laughs) allergic, and then you press it through a very fine sieve under high pressure, so all the tiny droplets of fat are so small your body can't use them, and then you take out whatever fat you wanted to take out and make skim milk, which is provably worse for you than whole fat milk, and you give it to your kids and you wonder why there's a problem, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. If we hadn't done all that, we would have far fewer milk allergies than we do today. Okay, so your density of information per word spoken is insane, so I'm gonna keep trying to like make sure that I get takeaways here. Okay, so phytic acid, we're getting a lot of it in the way that we're hyper-processing these plant, meat replacement, plant-based items, but I still wanna understand, so the phytic acid is leaching minerals, calcium out of my bones. So Not I just understand. calcium, many different minerals. How, okay, so is it, is it because I'm breaking the barrier in my gut and the phytic acid's getting into my bloodstream in a way that it shouldn't, or is it actually a, an absorbable mineral? Like how does this? It's, so phytic acid is a chelating agent. And what a chelating agent is, is something that has a very strong affinity for minerals. 
And, and it binds to them? It sticks to the minerals, and then your kidneys have to excrete them. It, it's known in agriculture, in fact, they measure phytic acid in feed of cows and chickens because they know if they give them too much, the animals stop growing. Mm. But they don't really control for it in human don't food. they feed cows like corn, though? They do, but they actually give them enzymes called phytase. And phytase stops phytic acid. Humans don't make any phytase. So that's why we shouldn't be eating grains. Okay, so it, it is a big reason why. So, because we also obviously with gluten for sure, we know that that's gonna break the junctions in your epithelial lining of your gut, which is gonna allow proteins into your blood, which creates the immune response, which gives you wild inflammation. So that's also a problem, but now we- Sadly, almost every whole grain will do that. Even including brown rice has problems. Interesting. That's why you do white rice as the safest grain. So there are people who say, oh, there's no gluten in that, it's corn. Well, corn has a protein called zein that's very similar. So all grains do it because we don't work well on grains. They're great for not dying of starvation. That's why we developed agriculture. The problem is they create shorter people, they create crooked teeth, they create spinal problems, and they're not an ideal food for living a long time. Yes, croissants taste good, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's not worth it. You can make something out of rice with real butter and real eggs and it's gonna taste pretty good and you'll live a lot longer because you don't deal with any of those problems. And if you wanna live a long time, you wanna eat minerals in every food you can get, but most plants and even most animals are deficient in minerals because we pulled them out of our soil a long mm -hmm. time ago. As I've learned more and more about anti-aging, as I've transformed myself, lost 100 pounds, and- I'm not gonna lie, you look better than the last time I saw you. Thank you, I, I like to think it's working. I'm 11 and a quarter years younger in my methylation DNA test than my actual age. So I think it's working, and mm -hmm. I came from behind, just given how unhealthy I used to be. So, you look at all this, minerals are a uniting element, and what I've been doing over the past five years is studying minerals and increasing the amount of minerals. The macro minerals like calcium, not too much calcium though, magnesium, potassium, but specifically trace minerals, which is what makes Danger Coffee, my new coffee brand, very different. Is There's more than 50 different trace minerals that you would have gotten in eating meat or eggs or plants but they're just missing from our environment because we've over farmed our soil and because we take all these chemicals in our food that are sticking to the minerals so we don't absorb them. So I put them as a part of Danger Coffee. So I'm getting a, a big dose of minerals every time I drink my coffee, which is there to help restore the mineral balance in the body. More minerals, you live longer. Why? Every single process in your body is driven by enzymes. And what enzymes do in biochemistry is enzymes allow a chemical reaction to happen with very little energy. So when you make ATP, which is how your cells are making electricity, when you fold a protein properly so that you have healthy proteins instead of misfolded proteins in your brain, which is a contributor to Alzheimer's, we think. Well, you have to have minerals to form the enzymes. And if you're low on minerals, the body won't make the enzymes and then you can't do the repair processes. Okay, so now we're getting into mitochondria, we're getting into the things that we wanna be adding into our diet. I wanna close the loop on the things that we wanna be removing from our diet. So the big problems that we're creating, I assume are inflammation related, leaching more minerals out of the system related. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about longevity, I've heard you say a lot that you know 
the reason that we should be able to live to 180 is because if somebody was you know, born, let's say 100, 120 years ago, they didn't have all of the technology and knowledge and all of that that we have now. But I would say, I would say that the data shows that we're actually living shorter because of, now I'm guessing, environmental toxins, all of the um, big agriculture, all of the things that we've done, leaching the soil of minerals, all that, that you actually would have had an easier time if you were born 120 years ago to live 120 years than you would being born today. Now, Ooh. if somebody does what you're doing, that may be not the case. But I think that most people are going to be at such a wild disadvantage that first they need to understand why this is actually a worse time to have been born if you want to live 180 years than it would have been to, say, be born 60 or 70 years ago. One, do you mm. agree with that? Because if you don't, I want to debate. I don't agree with that. All right. Tell me why you don't agree. Okay. If you got sick 70 years ago, you'd go to the doctor. Doctors 70 years ago didn't know very much at all. They would do the craziest stuff. A lot of them were influenced by Dr. Kellogg, you know, behind cornflakes who invented low-fat foods to drop male testosterone. Yeah, that's still crazy. Okay, that was part of medical training. And just mm -hmm. all this weird stuff. So there was nothing you could do if things went sideways. And the doctors were telling you to smoke all the time. Because, hey, this is the brand of cigarettes that doctors recommend the most. Those same type of personalities are the ones telling you to eat plant-based foods instead of meat. The ones telling you to eat corn and soy and other oils like that that are provably bad for you because they don't know any better. So you wouldn't have had anywhere you could go. Today, yes, we have tons of environmental pollutants. We have artificial blue light that is not good for you. But you have more control over your environment today than at any time in human history. You have access to more information than a king or a president 50 years ago for free at your fingertips. So you have control, you have choices that no human on earth had 50 years ago. That means, yeah, if you don't do anything, you have less of a chance. But it means you can do things and you know what to do now in a way that's unprecedented in all of recorded history. Okay, you ready for the rebuttal? Yes. I concede every point that you made for people that are plugged in and they're engaged with all of that. So on the, for the people that are awake, that's what I refer to as being awake in the matrix. If you're awake in the matrix, 100%, like mm -hmm. way better time to be alive. But the reason I think the average person is in a way worse position is you can't accidentally remain healthy in the way that you could accidentally remain healthy 100 years ago because they just hadn't created all of the things that can create a problem, whether it was in just like the fact that I have to worry, and I know that you actually have a solution for this, but the fact that I have to take a supplement when I have sushi because I have to worry about the uh, heavy metals that have gotten yeah. into the fish, like the fact that tuna eat like smaller fish and those smaller fish are eating microplastics and heavy metals and like, that's crazy. It's terrible. So that, there are so many things like that, leaching mm -hmm. the vitamins and, or minerals, excuse me, out of the soil. Mm -hmm. Also, just loneliness, uh, social media fucking with people's psychology. Like, there are so many things stacked against you that if you're not awake, that there is just, it's hard to accidentally be healthy. Now, 
to your point, I would rather be alive now than ever, so I don't want anybody to confuse what right. I'm saying. Like, this is the best time to be alive, thank God. I couldn't be more um, stoked about the moment that we're living through. But when I look at how much the average person is struggling, whether it's opioid addiction or all of the things that I just mentioned, like, this is a rough time to not be paying a lot of attention. And that worries me. And I mean, look, if you've made it this far into this episode, you're the kind of person that pays attention. But I wanna walk people through some of the things that they need to do, some of the whys, uh, and I think that this will get really, really interesting. Okay, so we know that we wanna avoid highly processed foods. We know that we have to be careful over consuming grains for sure, but you've put your finger on a lot of potential problems with being, even going all the way vegan. I was a raw vegan. I was a regular vegan. It made me profoundly sick. And there's a programmable thing we know happens when you go vegan and plant-based. Even if you tell yourself it's for the planet or for your health or for the animals, none of those is true. Those are propaganda the same way that the propagandists were telling you in the 1940s to smoke. So That seems crazy. So let's yeah. take just the first one one at okay. a time. So it seems unarguable mm -hmm. that it, you love animals that you should eat plants. Oh, it seems unarguable, but do you know about deaths per calorie? Only because I've studied you, yes, but please, for people okay. that have not. When I was a vegan, I stopped being a vegan because I went to Nepal and Tibet to learn meditation from the masters. A Buddhist lama at a monastery where there's a big sign that says no killing was talking with me and I said, you have a yak skin on your prayer pole. You killed the yak. You're a hypocrite. Buddhists love to argue. It, it was not disrespectful. And he laughs at me. He goes, one death feeds everyone. And I took that back when I stopped being a vegan because it was making me sick. And I thought about it and I looked at how much meat you get from a grass-fed cow that didn't cause deforestation, that didn't cause destruction of habitat for other animals. And if you eat a pound of red meat every single day, you'll kill 0.5 animals in the entire year. And that's it, unless the cow steps on a frog. Now, if you eat your soy nugget, crunchy, testosterone-reducing flavored whatever, what you're doing is you're destroying habitat. Bunnies, turtles, ladybugs, I'm trying to name the cute ones, mice, snakes, lizards, salamanders, like frogs. I think we have now gone outside the cute ones. Right, uh, slugs, okay, those are gross. But what they do is they sterilize the land and they're doing this and then they spray glyphosate which is provably destroying our entire ecosystem. We just found out that when you spray this nasty weed killer around that kills bacteria in the soil, it also causes seizures in worms at 300 times less than the allowable levels. This means that the foundation of our soil, which is worms and bacteria, is being completely sterilized mm. so they can grow corn and soy that then you eat in your breakfast cereal that's full of glyphosate that's also bad for you. So we've got to stop doing that stuff entirely. But you're saying that you want that world and all the deaths and all the habitat destruction? Newsflash, cows are an amazing technology they walk around on land and they eat plants that we can't eat, natural plants that are self-sustaining, and they turn them into dairy protein, dairy fat, and into meat and protein and usable skins. 
cows are amazing and we need them to build our soil. I say this as a small farmer on 32 acres with three cows, now in the freezer, but there were there, 25 sheep and 25 pigs and a whole bunch of chickens. And I'm building soil thickness and everywhere the animals go, green, lush, amazing plants follow. And in the areas where there are no animals, small amounts of vegetation. Animals create life in the soil, soil creates plants, soil creates life. And when you choose a vegan diet, you are voting against the presence of any animals in that agricultural land, and that is not okay. It's really interesting. What is it in manure that makes things grow? Like what are we shitting out, literally, that is it minerals, is it, yeah, what is it? Well, it depends on what the animal ate. You can't count on the presence of minerals because a lot of food doesn't have minerals in it. But what's always present, unless you're feeding antibiotics to your cows, is bacteria. So the role of ruminant animals, like our sheep, is to walk around and they're putting probiotics back in the soil. And this is why my sheep will shit anywhere, because that's their job. They, they go, they eat some of this plant, they eat some of that plant, they mix them up, they ferment them, and then they redeposit good, healthy bacteria that worms and bacteria eat in the soil that makes for a rich, thick soil, and you get the cycle of life. My pigs, though, and that's not their job. Pigs clean up the land, and pigs eat scraps. They don't poop everywhere. They poop in a corner of their space because they're not there to put probiotics back in the soil. And when you become a farmer, when you live in nature the way I do, you start seeing this and it's abundantly obvious. Why don't pigs, why isn't, sounds ridiculous, why isn't pig shit as useful as cow shit? I, I Higher ammonia, as far as I know. And it's not that pig shit isn't useful, you just have to distribute it. And this it is more. why farmers keep pigs in a pen? Farmers keep pigs in a pen because they're easier to eat. Also, pigs are destructive as all hell. Like, they will eat anything. So they'll destroy your crops and all of that. So will cows for some crops. But for me, I have my garden area, which is a couple acres fenced off from the sheep. But the rest of the property, the sheep keep it clean. You have to mow the lawn, at least most of the time. They literally eat everything that needs eating, but they don't destroy it. Hmm. And if you have other types of animals, they'll actually pull it up by the roots. So you can create this amazing ecosystem where... The sheep are eating stuff that humans couldn't and wouldn't eat. They don't kill other animals when they're in there. So what I want to do is I want to eat the type of food that makes me feel amazing. It gives me the longest longevity, the best mental function, the type of, of body that I want. And I want to minimize death and environmental destruction. And what I'm doing is I'm pulling carbon out of the air by building soil. I'm not displacing any animal in the production of my food. I'm actually contributing to the existence of animals. And because I get to raise my own animals, I know they're treated with respect. I know that we were up at three in the morning birthing the sheep or the lambs when it's that type of season from the sheep. And I know they were butchered ethically. You can do this if you talk to a local farmer in your area. They are struggling and they want to sell you meat directly. You can buy eggs from someone who has chickens. Most people can do that right now. And if you're just starting out, and you're in a big city and that's not accessible, if you go to the farmer's market at the end and you talk to the farmers, they'll probably make you a deal because they get screwed by grocery distribution. So what you can do is you could become wealthy like you and I have done and we could buy farms or you can support the people around you who do that. That's what communities do. You build a community of people who have like-minded values and you support your farmers and they support you and that's what I'm working to do. 
Okay, so if I'm putting all the pieces together, the thing that I bump into is what makes big ag work and the reason that we're able to sustain the whatever 7.8 billion people that are on the planet is because we've gotten really efficient at growing crops, crops that keep people from starving to death, of taking as little space as possible to grow the cows, the pigs, the chickens, all of that. Uh, and it might be absolutely dreadful and hateful morally what happens to the animals and what we're doing to the soil, but we're able to keep people alive. To do things the way that you're describing, which sound way better, can we sustain the kind of population that we have? Or do you think that we need, because there's two debates, right? We need less people, and then other people like Elon Musk that are like, yo, population collapse is actually a far bigger concern. Well, I think we're, we're having a conversation where I can be on both sides. Elon is right. My first book was on fertility. I read it 15 years ago. My wife was infertile at the time. And we restored her fertility. And it's called The Better Baby Book. And it's resulted in thousands of people having kids who were otherwise unable to just by fixing their food and their environment. So I know how bad our fertility situation as a species is. Right now, human testosterone in men at least is about 45% lower than it was 50 years ago. Whoa. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Seed oils are one of them, environmental endocrine disruptors are another, BPA from your receipts and your water bottles. These are real things and they matter. So I'm not worried about population continued growth. I'm worried about our ability to sustain our population. I do look at Japan and remember, I've written a book on anti-aging. I've studied aging populations around the planet and what do they do? And Japan's losing 600,000 people a year because they're dying and there aren't kids to replace them. And it's not gonna stop. There's entire cities now in the, in the countryside or towns that are abandoned because there's no one to live there. So are we gonna do that in the US? Yes, our replacement rate is lower. Like we're, we're not replacing our people. Our birth rate is lower than our replacement rate. So what does that mean? Yeah, we have a problem. Now, how do you feed these people? There is a group of large companies that say the only way to feed is to centralize. Look, I am a computer hacker by training. The stuff that I worked on was how do we take centralization away from computing and decentralize it? The newest wave of that is the Web3 stuff that's happening. And what we know is that distributing things makes them highly resilient, highly fault tolerant, and harder to control. If one in 10 families had chickens, we wouldn't need industrial egg laying facilities. It's not that hard to have chickens and you don't have to have roosters, the noisy ones. If a few families had cows and sheep, we would have plenty of meat production for the country. The problem we have is that we're slamming it all together. We're doing it unsustainably because it's slammed together so we can control it. And people don't know this, but most of the pork producers and pork processors and many of the chicken ones in the US are owned by Chinese companies who are leaving the unfiltered crap here that's too concentrated to be put back into the soil, and they're taking the meat and sending it overseas, which is also a waste of, well, it's a waste of oil. So what I'd like to see is countries learning how to grow their own food in a distributed manner, and this comes down to deregulating. Right now, when I want to take one of my cows that has been raised carefully 
in most of the country, I'm going to have to ship it in cruel conditions 500 miles to a commercial meat producer who's going to kill it unethically in a state of stress. And if I don't do that, I'm not allowed to sell it. Hmm. That is not okay. Even my restaurant here in Santa Monica, I can't buy the bacon I want to buy because it's approved by the regulators to sell that kind of bacon to people's houses but not for restaurant use. So people don't know this, but Big Ag has put collars and shackles on small farmers with all sorts of rules like this that are unnecessary. You wonder why food's expensive? That's why. Because it is cheap and easy to have your own food growing in your backyard. And during food shortages in the past, even in the last hundred years, people would get a goat. They would get chickens because they'll eat everything and then you can eat them and they'll give you milk in the meantime. And that's okay. It's very interesting. Uh, I want to go back to longevity. And now, while I have drawn the following conclusions from David Sinclair, I want to be careful to say that this does not necessarily represent the accurate depiction of what he's trying to convey. It's just what I took yeah, David and I are friends, uh, from I like what him. he said. But basically, if I understand his punchline right, what he's saying is, because I said the, what you said about eating the things that make me feel great. Meat makes me feel great. So I am far closer to... Uh, being a carnivore than I am to being a vegetarian, though I do have a reasonable amount of vegetable matter yeah, in my diet. Good. Um, but meat makes me feel awesome. And every time I've tried to transition to a much higher plant-based diet, I don't feel as good. And when I was pushing him on why does it make me feel so awesome if it isn't what he recommends for longevity, like what's the give? And Again, my interpretation of what he said was basically it's a little bit of hormesis. You're turning off mTOR. So you want to give your body the impulse. Hey, things aren't necessarily so great. So you need to dial it back. You need to slow your metabolism down. You need to not be you know, living as if it were a, a time of abundance. That you're, you're sort of, God, these are words he's going to hate. But like you're, I was going to say you're hibernating or you're going into like a famine state. So that you can, when you get back into a time of plenty, then you can start building and all of that. But in doing that, you give this, you're in a hormetic state, which for people is mm -hmm. a little bit of bad to have a positive effect. And so because you're sort of dialing things down, you get the longevity. So you might not feel as good in any one moment, but you're far likelier to live for a long time. And I think I'm all but quoting him when he says that just all the studies show that high meat consumption does not lead to a longer life. And so what's your take on that? I love David's work. He's been on my show and he's one of the first academics to stand up and say, we are extending human life. This is a big risk as a researcher because not so long ago they would pull your tenure because you're crazy if you said you could reverse mm -hmm. biological aging in cells. And he's right about mTOR. If you go back to the Bulletproof Diet, I published that 10 years ago, I think. I wrote a chapter about stacking mTOR. So mTOR is a compound that causes the body to grow. So if you want muscles, you have to have mTOR. And low mTOR equals muscle loss, lack of bone density, and even lessening of your cognitive function. Problem with mTOR is if it's high all the time, your cancer risk goes up, cancer risk goes up, longevity goes down. So we have this conundrum. You want mTOR, but you don't want mTOR. So the strategy that works for mTOR is to suppress mTOR so that you live a long time, and then it's like a spring. The more compressed it is, when you give it the signal 
to spring back, you get a spike in mTOR. So the deal is low, 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 spike, low, 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 spike. Now, then we've got to talk about what suppresses mTOR and then what spikes mTOR. Mm. What suppresses mTOR is three different things. One of them is intermittent fasting. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things, and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online, and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news 
news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. The other one is coffee and the other one is exercise. So if you do what I've been teaching for a long time, you would intermittent fast, in other words, sleep. (laughs) That's often enough, maybe sleep and skip breakfast. You would work out at the end of a fast and you'd have coffee during a fast. So now you've maximally suppressed mTOR and then as soon as you finish your exercise, you eat some meat because animal protein will raise mTOR. But guess what raises mTOR way more than animal protein? Carbs. Carbs. So wait a minute. If you want to live a long time, you should keep your mTOR low. I don't believe that. You should spike it, which means intermittent fasting is probably all you need to do. But you'd have to be on a carb-free diet that was also low in animal protein. So all you would eat is what? Vegetarian protein, which is full of phytic acid, which is full of enzyme disruptors, protein enzyme disruptors, and all the other well-known problems with highly processed plant-based proteins. Oh, and you shouldn't have the plant-based fats because those are bad for you too, the omega-6 oils. This is not a diet that anyone would want to do. It's akin to the old anti-aging people who would say, I'm cold and thin all the time, but I finally got used to eating 70% of the calories I actually need. I hope I'm going to live longer until the rat studies show that it didn't work. So if you want to live a long time and feel amazing, don't spike your blood sugar very often. I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor right here on my my stomach. That's from Levels. And when you eat animal protein, but you don't eat it all day long, you have a window around 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. where you consume your animal protein. You'll be low mTOR the rest of the time, but you'll still have muscle mass and you'll feel good. And in the morning, if you're going to have something, have some fat because fat doesn't change mTOR at all and doesn't change insulin at all. So you can be compatible with what David Sinclair says, but you have to be more afraid of carbs than animal protein if you're going to use mTOR as your guiding light. Mm -hmm. What I would also add is we've all heard of collagen. I made collagen into a billion dollar category, right? Collagen is high in glycine. Glycine is the amino acid that balances out the two problematic amino acids in animal protein. They're called methionine and tryptophan. So if you take some collagen or some glycine supplements with your meat during your eating window, you're likely going to undo the damage from those amino acids that raise your mTOR. Sounds really complex. Here's what it looks like. Don't eat breakfast, exercise, then eat some meat and maybe some carbs if you like, and don't eat bad fats. Don't eat after the sun goes down. Rinse and repeat. That is the thing that mechanistically, given all we know from David Sinclair's amazing and worthy research, I have done the vegan thing. I have tried the low protein thing. It will provably make you feel like crap, which will make you wish you didn't live longer. Any of these interventions I talk about for biohacking, if it's a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of work to do it, you're probably not going to do it unless that payoff is extreme. So what I've done over time is I've become lazier and lazier. So am I gonna go take a mineral supplement or can I put it in my coffee? Look, I drink my coffee every day. It has built-in trace minerals that I'm not getting. And even if I went out and bought a bunch of plants and had a big salad, which I like big salads, but I have no idea what minerals are in those things anyway. So I just make sure I get it enough to think about it. When it comes to things like exercise, 
you mentioned that um, you think I'm looking healthier. I think I am too. Well, one of the biggest contributors to that is I'm actually exercising less and I didn't exercise that much before. Hmm. I'm doing the stuff from Upgrade Labs. Why are you exercising less? Because I like efficiency. Look, if I could sleep none at all and I could exercise none at all, I would have so much more time to do fun stuff, mm -hmm. right? But of course, I'm sleeping. I'm getting high efficiency sleep. I sleep six and a half hours a night. And with exercise and with every other environmental input, we're figuring out that there's a code or a signal that makes the body adapt more rapidly. And this is akin to what Dr. Sinclair is talking about there. Okay, what's the signal? It's mTOR. Well, it turns out for exercise, we can put muscle on three to five times faster than picking up rocks. We can do cardio 10 to 12 times more effectively than the spin class or going for a run, the stuff that we were told was healthy. It turns out it's mostly a waste of time. So I've been studying for the last eight years at Upgrade Labs how to do these things and how to make it so I can roll it out to everyone. And Upgrade Labs is now franchising across North America, US and Canada. So these will be opening in every city where you can come in and in the hour you would have just sweated a little bit and hoped that flopping the weights around did something. We can provably do your VO2 max, put on muscle, encourage resilience. We actually train your system to be more resilient and do a bunch of other stuff that doesn't even fall in the category of exercise, but it sends a metabolic signal into your body to make you healthier. So let's start taking those one at a time. So how are you getting more efficient at weightlifting? Well, your muscles are expecting gravity. And gravity has certain characteristics. We evolved for billions of years in it. If you give your muscles a signal that takes gravity out of the signal, they go, oh my God, I'm gonna have to adapt to something new. So they rapidly adapt by growing and getting stronger. And by removing gravity? Yeah, gravity accelerates at 9.8 meters per second squared. It's a fixed constant on Earth. Mm -hmm. That means that if I pick up this coffee cup and I slowly drop it like that, it weighs more predictably the more I, I'm dropping it. And this is all invisible to us, but your body's doing all the calculations. Well, what if when I pick the cup up, it wanted to fall a lot more than 9.8 meters per second? Isn't that just a heavier weight? Except it accelerates, but now it doesn't want to accelerate. Okay. It slowly moves down inevitably. I cannot stop it from dropping no matter how hard I push, but it doesn't accelerate ever, right? The body's like, what is going on here? It turns out your muscles will not activate fully because they're afraid of gravity. We can teach your muscles in this one environment, there is no gravity, so you can turn on all the way. And in, I have a book that's coming out hold on, hold on, hold on. in March. If there wasn't gravity, wouldn't things be weightless? Mm -mm. Not if someone's pulling on something. So if there was- but Isn't that just more gravity? It's not gravity. What gravity does, gravity accelerates over time. But if I take my finger here and I just move it at a constant speed, mm -hmm. it doesn't accelerate ever. But what gravity would do is I start moving and the more it moves, the faster it goes. That fact that gravity accelerates over time, your body has adapted to that in a crazy way. We're using AI algorithms to give your body a, a signal that says, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have to get stronger. Okay, so hold on. It's awesome. It's interesting. I, this is the first time I'm being exposed to this idea, so I'm gonna have to work through this. Okay, so for anybody following along at home, mm -hmm. there's a thing called terminal velocity. Terminal velocity is when you reach maximum, gravity is yanking you down. Most things don't reach terminal velocity because they're not far enough to fall. Now, ironically, my entire life, I've never thought of that as gravity accelerating over time, but I guess effectively it is. 
I've never thought about why you don't immediately hit terminal velocity the second you step off something. That's utterly fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you know how on earth is that not true? I actually don't know. That you don't hit terminal velocity? Yeah, why, why isn't everything oh. falling at terminal velocity it's, at all times? It's because gravity is measured in meters per second squared, or meters per second per second. So every second of time you spend falling why, is though? more acceleration. I don't understand oh, that. Oh, that probably goes back to Newtonian motion. But wow. terminal velocity... Talk about things you don't know you don't know. Wow, okay, well, so... terminal velocity is a function of air resistance. There is no terminal velocity if you are in space in a full vacuum mm -hmm. and you have an unlimited amount of time to fall, you'll keep accelerating, 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 and there's probably some kind of like getting close to the speed of light thing. I don't know if that's an advanced physical question. Really? Yeah, terminal velocity... You're of, sure about that? Well, or the terminal you velocity of a feather and terminal velocity of a lead brick... Which ones? In a vacuum, there'd be no difference. In a vacuum, there'd be no difference, right? So then terminal velocity, they'll keep accelerating, of course. It's just a function of time. We usually hit something after a certain amount of time. In space, the big problem we have is that we need to be able to continue accelerating, right? And once you stop accelerating, then you just keep moving at that speed forever. But if you want to get going faster and faster and faster, you have to have more and more fuel right now anyway. Okay, this continues to get interesting. Uh, so this machine mm -hmm. is pulling down at a constant, well, I guess I'm thinking it, of a curl. It's like a winch. It's easy. You're standing in front of a pickup truck. The yep. pickup truck has a winch. It can pick up a car. You're going to do a curl against the winch. Yep. You know the truck's going to win, right? But now your body understands, you know what? When I wobble, it doesn't accelerate. It, I, I don't feel any gravity in there. I'm only feeling the pull of the winch, which is constant. This is a new signal to us. We've never had the signal before. Is it all negative um, force? You can do. You can. You can pull it back. We just let the winch out at the right speed. Okay. So, is there any difference in muscle formation whether we're doing concentric or eccentric? Motions? There absolutely is. It, it's so cool. There's a whole chapter in my book that's coming out in in a few months. It's in March of next year. But yeah, there is a difference, and it turns out that you put more muscle on during the eccentric part of it. So when you pull up, you don't put on as much mm -hmm. muscle as when you're slowly releasing. But when you're slowly releasing against a, a dumbbell, against gravity, there's gonna be some of this. That's not just from your muscle shaking, it's because when you wobble a little bit, the dumbbell got heavier. We're taking all that out. And so now the question is, what is the signal to put on muscle the fastest? How fast do I have to move up against what force? And how does the force modify as I'm at different places here? Mm -hmm. And it, there's a whole universe of signals in there that tells the body to change way more rapidly than you would imagine. And from a cardio perspective, you don't even have to sweat. And you get huge benefits in five minutes of exercise. And most of that five minutes, you're so barely So stripping moving. out gravity is how we get the muscles to grow faster. What are we doing on the cardio side? One of the, the big things that I'm working with at Upgrade Labs is this thing called slope of the curve biology, which sounds nerdy, but it's not that bad. It's that your body wants to adapt, this hormetic stress, but the way the body measures whether it adapted or not is how quickly was it stressed, and very importantly, how quickly could you return to an unstressed state? So the healthiest, strongest of us, like we can handle it, and then we're at peace. And instead, what we've told ourselves is the harder I work for longer, the better it is. So we spend all this time going for a run, we're sweating for 45 minutes or an hour, and we think that's good because we suffered and suffering makes you a good person. But what the body listened to was you ran away from the tiger and then you laid on your back and you rested, which is the very beginning 
version of this, which is provably better than intermittent uh, training, high intensity interval training, where you basically run for a minute and then walk for a minute. Well, why would laying on your back work better than walking for a minute? It's because the faster you return to baseline, the more the body takes the signal in. So what we're doing is we're measuring your heart rate. We're measuring the stress on your body and adapting the resistance of, in this case, a bike to make sure that it matches what your body's capable of. In order for you to be the strongest person possible, you wanna stress your system right up to the edge where it's dysregulated, but not dysregulated. Because if we dysregulate your system, it's gonna take you a couple days to recover. Mm -hmm. So we bring you right up to the very edge and then bring you right back down. And this provably works better, but you can't do it without tech. Since I am angry that I spent 18 months of my life Six days a week, an hour and a half a day going to the gym, halfway tough cardio to try and lose the 100 pounds of fat, and it did not work. In fact, I gave myself an autoimmune condition and I overtrained and raised my cortisol. I still had a 46 inch waist when I was done. That was a lie. That was the same as the doctor telling you to smoke for your health. It was this a lie work. or did they just not know? Oh, that's a, good, that's a good point. In fact, I believe someone somewhere probably knew, but Yes, it could have just been a mistake. Okay. It was a financially beneficial mistake for someone else, but to be really clear, and I wanna say this, if you say someone is lying, it means that you can read their mind and you know their thoughts or you have direct evidence of it versus that they are wrong. So to correct myself, they were wrong. Right. Okay, so that is really intriguing. So that's something um, I've not heard. So I'd heard about eccentric being bigger of a muscle builder than the concentric motion, which always struck me as weird, but cool. I'm certainly willing to believe it. Um, but I had not heard that about rapid getting back to um, calm. I'm not sure what. I, this is original material. I don't think that there's anyone who's written about that other than in mechanisms of stress resistance. But what we've seen at Upgrade Labs over eight years of using tech to make people more resilient, it's that, wow, if we do it that way, people change dramatically. What data points is the machine or the AI it, reading? It depends on which intervention. We've got about eight different interventions. So it depends what we're doing. But if we're doing neurofeedback, and I've got a ton of data from my neurofeedback company about that. That's a part of Upgrade Labs now as well, where you can actually train your brain. Same thing, you bring it to the edge, bring it back. Mm -hmm. So that's basically brain stuff. From a stress resilience, when we're doing resilience training, it's heart rate variability. From cardio, we're looking at heart rate, which is a marker for respiration. And for muscle, we're looking at the slope of the curb of muscle strength. So it's a lot of data. The overall arching data to monitor human performance at Upgrade Labs is based on the electrical performance of your cells. So when you come in, you stand on a device that lets us measure how good your cells are at resisting electricity or storing electricity, which tells us, are you hydrated? Are you dehydrated? Where's the fat in your body? Where's your skeletal muscle mass in the body? And it's amazing with thousands and thousands of data points. We have that and then we tell you like a prescription of which of the different technologies to do to reach your goal the fastest. I just wanna give everyone their time back most people want to live a long time are willing to spend 50 bucks a month or $200 a month, whatever they can come up with, as long as it works. And what we do is we buy a membership at a health club and then we just don't go, but we know that by having it, we're a good person. What I want to do is say, if you're willing to gift me 
with one hour of your time. Let's get it all out of the way for the week. Maybe you'll come in twice this week because you feel so much better, but that's it. I don't want more time. More is not better. With the cardio interventions I'm doing, if you do the five minutes of mostly moving really slowly, doing six minutes does not improve your performance at all. Doing 10 minutes is zero benefit more. Hmm. Or you could tell yourself you're doing well and you could sweat and you love that person in the front of the class yelling at you and sloshing water in her face. I just don't want to spend my life doing that. What's the difference between what you're helping people optimize for and like ultra high performance like an Olympic athlete? Olympic athletes and pro athletes are by definition biohackers and a lot of them follow my stuff. What they're looking at though is a day that involves training and a huge amount of recovery. What you and I are looking at is not that. We might train, but then we go about our life that is not about eating properly, getting extra rest, getting a massage, going to the sauna. There's an upper limit to the amount of time that most people have to improve themselves. What that means is that we have a moral obligation to get that done and still have time to be a householder, to take care of your family, to do your job, to take care of other aspects of your community. And if you spend well, all your you time trying to live forever, it doesn't. Better. Right? That's what I'm trying yeah. to figure out. So an Olympic athlete is going to train their fucking face off. So are they just wrong and they should be doing... Because like when you said you're mostly moving slow, I'm like... I don't see how an Olympic athlete does mostly moving slow and still sets the 100 meter dash. It, it would depend on what you're training for, right? So a sprinter is training for something very different than cardiovascular performance. In fact, mm -hmm. they don't even need that endurance, right? But what's happening now is endurance trainers have figured out that cranking out the miles actually doesn't work very well. So they're mostly doing something called zone two training which is fascinating. And this is another one of those biohacking innovations that says if you spend about an hour and a half to two hours a week at a very narrow and specific range of heart rate, your mitochondria will burn fat and it's metabolically awesome. But if you go a little bit faster or a little bit slower, it doesn't work. So you have to have a heart rate monitor and you have to go at a certain speed. And if you do that kind of training, you can do a lot less of the chronic cardio. So we're seeing a new generation of endurance athletes who are actually able to do it for a lot longer because they've learned that training less gives them more results. So we used to just say, well, if some is good, more is better. It's one of the basic things our brains do because we're lazy. We're, we're not choosing to be lazy. Our body wants to not waste energy even on thinking. So something good, more better, something bad, none is good. The reality is not that. So let's use computing. Let's use our vast knowledge as a species to actually decide how much of what gives you the most and be a little bit selfish about things. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you realize you can have hours every week that you don't have to do on unpleasant tasks. And because you did it right, you feel good all the rest of the time. I've spent six months with electrodes glued on my head at 40 years of Zen training my brain so I could turn off all the notifications and bad voices in my head. I've lost the 100 pounds. I try all sorts of crazy stuff. A lot of it's not worth it. And my job is to find the stuff that has the most value for the most people and then get it everywhere so that we can free ourselves of drudgery that doesn't even produce good results. What are you doing with the electrodes on your brain? What are, I'm assuming it's, detecting certain brainwave patterns, getting biofeedback based on that. So to what end? Are there certain states that you want to be able to click mm -hmm. in and out of? 40 Years of Zen 
it, we had to build new hardware and software that reads electrical signals from the surface of your, your skull, basically the skin on your head, which tells you what's going on inside the brain. And there's a whole bunch of different math you can do when you're looking at brainwaves to figure out what the heck is going on in there. And then to quickly show the brain what it's doing so you can change it. And the results are incredible because we're mixing three different types of, uh, of feedback in a way that hasn't been done before. So you sit there at an upgrade labs, we've got the training or you go to the full facility in Seattle, which is the 40 years of Zen facility. We're gluing four electrodes on here and we're validating results with a clinical grade 24 electrode, 3D printed cap sort of thing. And based on that, you're actually doing meditations that have a lot of similarity to ancient ones, but they're just tweaked to be efficient because you have the equivalent of a lie detector on your head. So you can say, all right, I'm going to go to this state, I'm going to do this specific thing, and you're gonna convince yourself that you did it when you didn't because your brain is that lazy. So you can say, I'm gonna forgive my ex-girlfriend. And you tell yourself you did, but you didn't. Well, the computer's gonna tell you, hey, bozo, you're not done, right? And it's a little uncomfortable. But when you do that, you stop worrying for the rest of your life about whatever that situation was. And that's how you go through and do this reset process that turns off all these alerts. It's similar to some of the states you get from plant-based medicines um, like psychedelics. People have similar types of experiences, but there's no drugs required. It's just you being able to see what's going on inside your brain. So it's very, very potent stuff. Again, though, it depends what you're training. There are times when after you've done some of this work, which is the primary amazing relaxation, the state of, of lucidity or state of insight, those are different things. And you actually have different settings on the machine to do that. There's other things you can do, though, to increase neuron firing speed, which is a different kind of training at a very different frequency with different math behind it. This is, you mean I can make my neurons fire faster? Yeah. You can increase voltage in your brain. You can train your brain to have a hotter spark if that's what you need. And each brain is very unique. So the question is, what do we do? Well, what we're doing is showing you what's going on. And then we may be teaching you how to do a forgiveness technique, how to do a specific meditation technique so perfectly because the computer is guiding you. Or we may be just showing your brain some sounds and lights where it'll reprogram itself to run faster if that's what your brain needs. So it is, it's a whole new thing. We used to have to just go meditate in caves. That, all of our history of meditation is, we'll just meditate for your lifetime, write down what you learned, give it to the next guy, and we'll just do that for a long time. The amount of data we can get, it's amazing. I think we've got nine patents underway at 40 Years of Zen, wow. and we're rolling that hardware out to all over the country inside Upgrade Labs because most people don't have time to meditate and they don't know how to meditate even if they have time. Breath work is awesome. You should do your breath work. How many listeners right now wake up every morning and do their breath work? Tiny amount. So I like, how do I get 40 years of meditation done in a week? I want, I want that. I'm just profoundly lazy. Like I just want to eat more bacon and chocolate and live forever and not have to do a bunch of hard work in order to have the body and mind I want. And I'm building that. 
Yeah. So there is a profound amount of figuring out what works and what doesn't. So going back to the mind, in a forgiveness technique, what is it? Is There's a detectable brain state that you get into when you've actually let go of something and you can just sort of mimic that feeling? You're not mimicking the feeling. You're actually creating the state and you're doing it yourself. So the computer's just saying, you're not there, you haven't done it, keep going. And so you may never get to that state, but when you get to that state, it what recognizes it? It recognizes it and it tells you when you're getting closer and closer. And is that based on just a ton of data where it's seen enough people that it recognizes a certain state? Because the the AI would have to have a model that says, okay, this is what I'm aiming at. So when you guys are taking in all of this data, how, how did you pinpoint, okay, this is real forgiveness, this is what pseudo forgiveness looks like? So on and so forth. We didn't just have to do it. There's well-known meditative forgiveness techniques, and they feel a certain way. So you can take someone who knows the technique, you can look at their brain. Is that what you guys did? Like you had monks come in? We've done some of that. And fortunately, since about 1992, people have been having monks come in and do this. And there's hundreds of different states. And I've had monks and other very highly, um, just say highly on the path of enlightenment kind of people come in. How does a computer capture a brainwave? So I know what an earthquake looks like. Mm -hmm. I know what musical notes look like. What does a brainwave look like? So you've seen maybe if someone's measuring a battery with a little voltmeter, right? So it it turns on and turns off. So when we're measuring a brainwave, there are changes in electrical potential coming off the brain. So it's sort of like- Is it like a sine wave? Yeah, it's exactly a sine wave. And so just imagine like if we were humming or something like mm, 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 mm. somehow you know you can see that there's a wave in there. Right. Your brain is doing the same thing, but it's in electricity. And what we can do is we can say, you know what? If you close your eyes, anyone listening can do this. And the darker the room is better, or we even have special glasses that you use when you're at 40 years in to help you maintain the state better. Like there's a lot of environmental things, but close your eyes. And then put your attention right here in the middle of your brain. When you do that, you're in a high state of alpha automatically. And alpha is this brain state that everyone talks about. It's some kind of special thing. Alpha barely means anything. It's a range of about four hertz inside this range of your brain waves that go from zero up to at least 100 hertz. So it's just like, I don't know, something in there. But it turns out you can have alpha here and delta here. So what? Oh, yeah. Your brain is not one thing. It has all sorts of different little nodes. Think of it like an orchestra. Hmm. So you can be playing tuba over here and snare drums over here. And what we're doing is we're doing complex math in real time, actually in the cloud for some of this. And then we're showing your brain how to conduct its orchestra more effectively. How do you show it? with sound usually and sometimes with light. Okay, this is really fucking interesting. So what I just wrote was, is there a way to match waves? So I read a headline, I didn't read the article, so forgive me whoever wrote it if I'm getting this wrong, but the headline was saying that if you're playing video games with somebody, even if you're not in the same space, and this matters to me because I play with my wife and my sister on a fire team, and there are just times where you sync up and it's like you can just, you know where everybody's going and it's awesome. Uh, And it said that basically people that are playing uh, games together, their brain patterns will sync up. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I didn't read the article, so I don't know exactly what they meant by that. But if that really is true, that means that there's something that we're able to detect that allows us to get in sync, which should mean that I can play something back to you, whether it's sound, light, who knows, 
that allows you to then sync up with that? There's some assumptions in there that are not proven about the idea that we could detect what that is. We've looked at the brainwaves of people doing improvisational jazz, mm -hmm. and they do sync up in strange ways. Teams will sync up like that. The question is, will they sync up over distance? And the answer is yes. You will sync up with someone even across the continent, and it's likely. If you have some sort of connected feedback. It can be via connected feedback, yeah. Even if you don't, there are people who are capable of that. Let you uh, look at, explain that. Well, you can look at all of Joe Dispenza's work, and there's dozens of other people who've tried to disprove it over time. So you can be quantumly connected with someone in your brain waves, or even your heart rate variability can sync over very vast distances in a way that's a bit scary, to be honest. You're going to have to give me examples, because that yeah. sounds untrue. Well, one easy-to-measure example is that when you walk into a stall with a horse. Mm -hmm. Before you touch the horse, from 10 feet away, yep. the horse's interbeat spacing of its heartbeat will change to match yours instantaneously. Okay. So how's it happening? What's the signal? I don't know, but mm -hmm. given that we're so close, I could buy that there's some detectable something where it starts to get weird is when the person is very far away and I don't like even just deciphering which of the 7.9 billion people to get in sync with, there's something fishy going on. There, in the horse case, there's likely a magnetic thing going on. Around your heart, there's a torus or like a halo shaped field. We can measure this with physics detection equipment. This is not. Uh, debatable. There's an electrical thing going on in the heart. It creates a magnetic field. We also know from physics that magnetic fields and electrical fields continue infinitely throughout the universe. They just drop at a cube of the distance. So they get weaker and weaker over time. So you would have to prove to me that your body does not have the ability to recognize a specific magnetic field from across the planet, if it's even magnetic, which it probably isn't. It's probably based on quantum resonance. We know, and this is not the quantum woo, like, look, I have a quantum whistle. It <laughs> what, sounds really right now, no. Dave Asprey. I'm, not I'm talking lie. about qu quantum biology PhDs. I, I mentioned earlier enzymes in your body mm -hmm. and how you need minerals to make them. Well, what I didn't mention is that we're understanding now that quantum tunneling is happening when you make ATP. Quantum tunneling is happening within microtubules in your brain and that our bodies are absolutely quantum biology based. And this is the hardcore physics, giant labs of liquid helium kind of science, not the, you know, I shaved my head and went to Tibet, which yes, I did do. So what's going on there? Well, we know that two objects can become quantum entangled at any distance. And when that happens, when two things are quantum entangled, one of them can change and the other one will instantaneously change even on the other side. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise 
noise cancellation, and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. Side of the universe. Yeah, but the, uh, so God, this is definitely outside of what I know well, but Mm -hmm. I know enough headlines to be dangerous. So like in quantum computing, the thing that they're struggling with is how do you quantum entangle things and keep complex things entangled. So while I will definitely agree, again, knowing that this is well beyond what I really understand, that that seems like a foregone conclusion. If entangling them is the part that we don't understand, my question is, what is it that's entangling them in the first place? Is it that we're consciously deciding I want to sync with that person? Is there some sort of force beyond us that quantum entangles us for reasons we don't understand? I would say that we don't know the answer to it, but there can be an effect when you don't know why there's an effect. No doubt. Most of science, especially medicine, we just tell ourselves a reason that's totally bogus, and then we believe it to be true. So the most obvious answer that I and others would propose as a hypothesis to test is that it's actually consciousness itself that's creating the quantum entangling. And this is based on information field theory, which has some pretty good science to back it up. But what we do know is that this connection between people is provable and it is thousands of times stronger if the people meditate or have a consciousness practice. Okay, so I'm not sure what the right thread to pull is, so I'm going to try one. This is probably the most dangerous thread to pull on. How are we proving Mm -hmm. that they are quantumly entangled? We know that we run on quantum biology, but right now we don't have the ability to prove that, let's say that you and I are playing a video game, Mm -hmm. we're in different rooms in the video game, and we're across the continent from each other. And there is a proposed some kind of connection, and somehow we're playing like this, and we don't know what it is, but it feels good. That makes sense to me, though, because we both have 
over the internet, the games are connected, so I'm seeing the same thing that you're seeing at the same but time. But aren't we seeing different things at slightly different times, actually, because there's lag? Yes. Well, then let's ask the obvious question. If we are uh, seeing things at slightly different times, there's some latency there, why would we get an exact sync? It seems more sensible that we'd be in sync with the thing that we're interacting with than in sync with the thing that's in sync with the thing that we're interacting with. Well, maybe the answer is just focus. And I'm not saying I know the answer, mm -hmm. but what I do know is that minds that are trained to powerfully focus on something, especially together, create something. And I don't know what it is. There's an interesting book by Lynn McTaggart, who's a friend. It's called The Field. And what you're gonna find out, especially from Lynn's work, is that when you get eight people focused on the same thing, it creates a field, one of those information fields. And she has dozens and dozens of examples, including some with really good controls, where something creepy is happening. I What's can't tell you what it is. information field? Information fields are tied with consciousness, and it's an area of math, actually, and physics they're looking at. And there's stuff we don't know about reality. The thing that's scary is, you can knock on the wooden table right here. It's almost entirely not there. It's empty space. We just don't perceive the empty space. So we get into weird questions of consciousness and the nature of reality very quickly. But no one on earth can tell you why your hand doesn't pass through the table given that the table is provably just empty space. 99.999. You Here's why your hand doesn't pass through the space at a quantum level, yes, there are massive gaps, but as you scale things up, mm -hmm. then it becomes the odds of um, all of your particles, is probably the right mm -hmm. word to use, lining up perfectly with all of the particles that aren't there. Also, it is virtually zero, just to finish that sentence. And then given that uh, quantum theory is all about probability, mm -hmm. it is in fact possible that all of your uh, particles happen to, at that exact moment, have a probability of passing through it, even though it's a solid object. But again, the odds of that are vanishingly slim. Now, there is, if infinity is really the infinity that we think it is, there probably is a universe where everything is identical exactly to this, except as you went to knock, on the third knock, your hand actually passed through the table. So somewhere there is a guy who just, a version of you that just did that and it's like, oh my God, see? Uh, but it would be so vanishingly slim. So I met a guy uh, that is a astrophysicist mm -hmm. who is far smarter than I will ever be, who described it to me this way. He said the reason that even though when you're dealing at the quantum level, you're talking about probabilities, what you see doesn't mm -hmm. seem to account for all of those probabilities and how could that be true? And his answer was because this simply, just like anything, it's, it's a distribution, you're going to experience things in the most probable state. And so the most probable state is that when you knock, it's there. Even though as you drill into the quantum level and you understand quantum mechanics and you know that there is some non-trivial chance that things just pass through and that they have a superposition or whatever, we are well outside of what I would yeah. want to be teaching a class on, but that the, the universe that we see as like the typical universe, even though it seems to violate some of the quantum rules, is simply because it's the most probable of the quantum states. So I was like, that is very simple and very mm -hmm. straightforward and makes a lot of sense now.
again, this is beyond what I truly understand, but yeah. that makes sense to me. There's one little thing in there, though. A big part of quantum anything is the observer effect. So what's causing a probability to collapse into a reality is something has to observe it. And in my work, you are not the observer. You, you simply can't be the observer. The reason is that when something happens in the world around you, if you have an average brain, about a third of a second later, your brain gets its first electrical wiggling, the first signal at all. So there's someone in your body, and if you're young or you have a high-performance hacked brain like mine, you're around 240 milliseconds. That's the fastest. And maybe a Formula One driver, um, I want to measure her, but like Danica Patrick might be at 210, or maybe she was at, at her prime as a driver. These people are very, very fast at their brains perceiving mm -hmm. reality. But during that quarter of a second gap, who's in charge? Well, it turns out there's an ancient network of environmental sensors that each has its own tiny bit of consciousness. They're called mitochondria. They're ancient bacteria. They observe in real time and react in real time, and then you take credit for it a quarter to a third of a second later. So there's still an observer of the hand on the table. But why do you, so consciousness mm -hmm. is one of those questions that I can't decide if I find it completely uninteresting or if it's the most interesting thing ever. But for a second, I'm going to pretend I find it the most interesting thing right. ever. Uh, why on earth would consciousness localize to the mitochondria? Why that uh, bacteria and not something else? Um, they're just the ones that are the first observers. Everyone else has already observed. So what you have is you have a programmable array throughout your body of billions and billions of mitochondria, way more than there are cells in your body. They're environmental sensors, they're electrical plants, and they're building factories that can make sex hormones, they can make inflammatory molecules, they can fold proteins, they can do all kinds of cool stuff. They're not just the power plants of the cells. So what's going on here is you have an array, like, a, like an antenna array of all these things. They are electrically sensitive, they are magnetically sensitive, they are light sensitive, and they're sitting there trying to figure out what the hell to do in unison with each other before you can pay attention, and they don't even know that you're in there. And what you're doing with meditation, what you're doing with all of the biohacking stuff that changes the environment around you and inside of you to have control of your biology, that's all programming your array of those little consciousness generators to pay attention to stuff so that they can find it. And the things that get really interesting is there's a very, very strong case that what you and I are seeing with this table and everything around us is a very tiny drop of reality. Because if we had a life-size map of Los Angeles right now, it would be useless, right? Because it wouldn't be a map anymore. You'd have to go there. What we see with our eyes, we hear with our ears, is a tiny, tiny little representation of what's really going on in the world around us. That is for sure. So uh, I find it utterly fascinating, the idea of an umwelt, right? You're only going to perceive that which you have a sensor to perceive. So your eyes see a narrow band of light. In fact, God, I used to know the exact number, but it's something like 0.0035% of the electromagnetic spectrum is visible to our eyes. That is a vanishingly small number, vanishingly small. And so to have a sense that, oh, this is everything that there is, that for sure, we're definitely not perceiving the real world. Do you know Donald Hoffman? Mm-hmm. 
that's his whole thing, right? The that case you, against reality. Yeah, yep. that you you not only are not perceiving reality, but the way that evolution works, you would never actually perceive reality because it's not the thing that's going to help you be survival of the fittest. Exactly. That's that's what I was relying on is his work because it's that profound. So you can't sense reality. And so you and I say, well, we don't know the mechanism for this. What I do as a biohacker is I look for the corner cases, things where stuff happens that's not supposed to happen. And then what do we learn from those? And you can do crazy stuff. There's a a ski instructor turned physicist named Nassim Haramein, who's been on my show. I don't know if he's been on yours. He runs a, a resonance academy. And he has math that's 4% better than what's called the standard model of physics at predicting reality. How did he do it? You talk to him. It's all about quantum entanglement and resonance and sine waves and things like that. Fascinating interview, but it's all about consciousness. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, his math works better than the stuff we use to put stuff on Mars right now. And he's working on getting it out there. So we have stuff going on. We're like, well, how did that happen? And in the case of putting your hand through the table, there are stories of a saint named Milarepa. And people go to caves where he learned to do this, where there's all these handprints, not painted on the wall, but actually melted into the wall. And he would do it on demand when people would ask him to do it to show people that you can change your interface on reality. I want that to be true. I love it. You can't imagine somebody more excited about all of this stuff being true than me. Wim Hof proves that there are things that can be studied and shown to actually exist. So when I hear about somebody like that, I'm like, word, like put them in a laboratory setting like Wim was willing to do so that we can see if this is real. Because if it is, then other people can start to do it and we can really get to interesting places. What I fear is either... That person is um, not connected to reality. Oh, there's lots of crazy people and lots of con yep. artists out there. Let's face Correct. it. Correct. So I, I worry very much about that because, to your point, what I care about is does your mental model allow you to more accurately predict the outcome of your actions? If it does, amazing. If your math is 4% better at getting a mm-hmm. uh, probe onto Mars, I want to know about it. But most people aren't going to be able to replicate their findings. And I don't know why it, it winds me up. But when typically when people use quantum to mean magical, mad. I want to punch through something. It, it's so stupid when, when you do that. And I know plenty of wizard-level advanced meditation people who've spent 20, 30 years on the practice, who've handed it down from lineages, these people can do stuff that is weird. And Give me the weirdest thing you've witnessed. Oh, dozens of times. There are people, you can tell them the name of someone and they'll tell you all about them in a way that is creepy. You're like, how do they know this? But do you know cold reading? These are not cold readers. Some of these people I know pretty well. These are people like lived in the jungle and did ayahuasca every day for a long time, which I don't think is a good idea for most of us. But like these are these are weird people. Not Do you forgive my skepticism. I totally am down with skepticism. Do I you, love skepticism. Have you ever man. heard of Banachek? Uh, I've heard of Banachek. Oh, such a fucking interesting guy. Shout out to mm-hmm. Banachek. So he is a mentalist. So he was one of the guys, Mm -hmm. I think back in the 70s, was it the Amazing Randy or something, Mm -hmm. was telling people, hey, this stuff is fake, nobody would believe him. So he set this whole thing up 
with these two, one of them was really young, like 19 years old. I can't remember if they had them bending spoons or whatever, but they had them put on like some Yuri demonstration. Something, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yes, I think that might be correct. Mm -hmm. And I forget exactly what they were having him do, but it was Banachek, mm -hmm. before he took the stage name, was one of the kids doing it. And people were like, this is real, oh my God, like he really mm -hmm. can, whatever, bend spoons, read minds, whatever. And of course he can't, it's all a stage show. But it, he's, he was so young and so convincing Mm -hmm. That people were like, no, this is real. There's no way you could be faking it. And he's like, yes, I'm faking it. So knowing how compelling those guys are and that they're not mean or evil, they're just, you know, the tricksters among us. The world is that, full of tricksters. Yeah. So, so here, here's the question. Um, I take an agnostic stance on, on most things, where I, I haven't seen that, what's mm -hmm. the evidence sort of things. I do not believe, as I used to believe, that I have to know the mechanism of action for something to be happening. Because that is actually a, a limiting thing. Because here's the deal. Most mechanisms of action that we have proposed and believed fervently in throughout history were actually wrong. If you got diagnosed with terminal cancer, would you get chemo? I would actually first look at what kind of cancer I had. I'd have it sequenced. And then I would get something from a guy named Ralph Moss, who runs CancerDecisions.com. And he goes through and looks at every type of cancer, every alternative therapy, every chemotherapy, and every other therapy, and stack ranks them against evidence for whether they're going to work for you. And based on that, I might get chemo, but probably not, because chemo has a lot of downside, and I would start doing other stuff that would work and see if the cancer shrunk. And if so, I'd keep doing that. And if not, I'd do chemo if it was a last resort. Okay, but it's not like you would run to the guy that can melt his hand through the rock? no. Okay. No, not at all. And people who are biased either for or against big pharma have a problem. You wanna be without bias. So what I'm looking for is, is there an effect, is especially an effect that's reported in multiple cultures over hundreds of years? Mm -hmm all over the planet who didn't know each other? Well, gee, I don't know, maybe they're all idiots, or maybe we don't know in effect. So the most interesting things. Um, well, that whole, almost every culture you can name has people who, I don't know, call them psychic mind readers, whatever you want to do it. They weren't all trained to do the mentalist game. I am so interested in making sure that the things that I believe allow me to better predict the outcome of my actions, that I don't just, oh, like you say that this thing is true, but you can't show mm -hmm. or it's not verifiable or whatever. That's when I get skeptical either of their intentions or their explanation. Just that I, I'm not convinced that their interpretation of said bizarre thing is an accurate interpretation. Not that said okay. bizarre thing isn't a bizarre thing, not that it's not real. Like every time I think I understand how something is done, take mm -hmm. nutrition. Oh yeah. We're, As you will know, we, we all surface. think we understand. And then you, the, the quote that sums up my approach to life is as the island of my knowledge grows, so does the shore of my ignorance. It's like, no matter how much I know, it just shows me how much I don't know. And that what I don't know is so vast compared to the things that I do know. So it matters to me because if you have a frame of reference that makes accurate predictions, your life will be amazing. If you have a frame of reference that makes deranged, and I don't mean deranged like crazy, I mean is it, it is off, it is deranged. Mm -hmm. And if you have one that makes poor predictions, then you will seem to be trapped by things outside your control, but in reality you're not. Here's what's going on. I talked about those mitochondria, that ancient network. 
they follow basic operating system things that only a bacteria can do. Small, dumb, and fast. And remember, they're doing it before you can be aware of reality. They run four things, and they do it infinite numbers of times, which matches the book you just talked about. Stephen Wolfram wrote another book called A New Kind of Math that shows very simple things replicated infinite numbers of times equals flowers and spiral shells and all these amazing organic forms are from small rules repeated. So what's going on is your bacteria individually or throughout the system are programmed with four words in order. And these are at the very core of my work. The first one is fear. You run away from, kill, or hide from anything that might be scary. They are recognizing scary as a network before you get to pick. And then number two, eat everything. And you eat everything because famines have killed our ancestors forever. Number three, in order, is also an F word. So we have fear, we have food, that all life has to do is stay around forever. You know the F word. Mm -hmm. Fertility, right? Okay, so we've got that. And the fourth one is friend which is make a network with everyone else and support your own meat bag and support other meat bags like you. In other words, form a community, form friends, support your species and support the other ecosystem you're in. This is what all life does, whether you're a jellyfish or a human or a tree. You always follow these rules in tiny, tiny, very, very fast, very dumb compute nodes. And you do that enough times. And you program that system through the course of your life, especially when you're young, even when you're in the womb, for what kind of world to expect. And if you grow up in poverty, with violence, with abuse, your antenna array is programmed to look for and expect those things. So it's not about programming your mind as much as it is about programming your body and then your mind. Because you can fix the mind, but if the body is still in a state of poverty and terror, it won't do that. And the reason I do the work I do in the order I do is that when you upgrade your biology so it works better, you have a better system for detecting reality around you. And based on that, you have more energy. And when you have more energy, that energy lets you go into personal development and reprogram your mind. So when you take someone from a background of abuse and poverty and you get their cells working again, and then you reprogram the threat detection system, the poverty and the famine detection system and the love system and the community system, you get a whole complete trauma healed human. You can do this faster through biohacking than anything else I've invented. That's why neurofeedback matters. That's why getting nutrients into the cells matter. But if you have a body that can't detect reality because it's too poisoned by the environment and too depleted in minerals and in proteins and even in energy, no wonder you can't respond the way you want to respond. No wonder you don't get the results you want because you don't have the energy to bring it. And it is not fair. It's not how it's supposed to be. And so many people have huge amounts of trauma and don't know it, including the most successful people on earth. I have the largest database of high-performance brains at high-resolution scan of anyone on the planet, according to my neuroscientist partners at the University of Victoria. This is at 40 years of Zen. You know how many people who are billionaires come through my program and have to work on trauma from childhood? All of them. That's the thing we need to fix. But we can fix it. Everyone can get to that state of peace, that state of growth. But if you ignore the body, you ignore the threat networks in the body, and you just work on the mind, you'll never get there. And it hurts to try. I want everyone at home to know you've done this to us, but you have to leave. Where can people follow you? 
go to DaveAsprey.com. I'm Dave.Asprey on Instagram. Human Upgrade is my podcast. Danger Coffee is my coffee. And Upgrade Labs, you want to be a franchisee, own an UpgradeLabs.com. There it is. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Peace.